Welcome to the 904 Together podcast. I'm Tom Patton. No one would dispute that it's a challenging time to be in business. And on this podcast, we're talking with a variety of business owners across the 904 area code about how they're facing the challenges of COVID-19 and how they plan to move forward. My guest on this episode is Susan Evans, and Susan is the executive director of the local chapter of Blessings in a Backpack. And Susan, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So I guess the, the initial question for those who might not be aware of the organization is what is Blessings in a Backpack? Um, well, that's a great question. So what we do is we provide weekend meal packs, nutritious weekend meal packs for children who depend on the school system for their meals through the school year, but um, are going home and perhaps throughout that entire school year, every weekend, maybe most likely do not have access to meals, healthy meals. So we provide that every Friday through our school partners. And what happened when things started to shut down? Well, we partner with each of these schools, so a lot of our PCs, which is our program coordinators, um, were not allowed back on the campus, so we were just sort of working out of the pocket to make sure uh, meals kept coming where they needed to go. So we worked with the school principals and the school system, and we did lose some kids at specific schools, but then we found the schools where they were being because they opened up certain feeding sites, and we just made sure the meals kept going to the schools where our kids were. And then we... Um, received some generous donations, and we actually went from feeding about 3,900 kids a week to over 8,000. How big a problem is this in Duval County that kids are so dependent on the the school meal programs that they literally don't have a nutritious meal uh, when the weekend rolls around? Um, it's bigger than people realize, and it's a quiet problem because I think people focus on those real well-known gaps, which is summer break and summer camps and the holidays. And throughout the school year, that's a 65 hours during a weekend where these kids go home and for whatever reason, they just don't have a meal waiting for them. So I think through a Feeding America map, the meal gap, they have between 89 and 90,000 kids identified here on the first coast as food insecure. So it's a big problem. And we're just hoping um, through uh, you know, things like this, that people will start realizing, you know, there's there's more to the school year and there's more ways to help and we're one of them. What was the biggest impact of the shutdown on your organization? I think just communications and coordinating. We've um, become members of some like the city's task force, which is amazing. Um, just pulling together all our resources, staying in touch with our PCs because they have families too, and they're taking care of schools as well as themselves and their families and just making sure that the people that we're dealing with are safe, they're healthy, and that we keep getting them the resources they need. So it was just this complete marshalling of resources and information and communication and making sure everyone um, has what they need and are, they are where they need to be to get the food where it needs to go. Now, I know you said you'd gotten a nice generous donation as one of the ways that you had kept going through the shutdown, what what other kinds of assistance were you able to get that kept you going during the past couple of months? Well, we had a lot of people step up through our Facebook page and volunteer. We had um, we had this funny thing called, it was the Quarantine Kids Project, where when we do big pack of packing events, which are, were immediately canceled, and that's, that's a major funding source for some of our schools. So that's thousands and thousands of dollars that went away immediately. And, and part of the packing process um, is including these handwritten cards for children, which are just sort of notes of inspiration. And, and we, our food is specifically for little children. It's for elementary, pre-K, kindergarten. So we ask people when they come in and sponsor these community engagement to have their employees and their families um, create these cards. 
And so with people ahead home on quarantine, I had a lot of volunteers come in and ask for the cards and we created a lot. So we have a stack here, just these beautiful little pieces of artwork. And when people are sitting at home and bored out of their skull, they come up with some beautiful things. So it's kids and adults and all sorts of folks just created these cards for us. So that was one way we were able to keep you know, um, First Coast Blessings in a pack back in front of people. And then we had people that collected food for us. We had people um, show up and volunteer to drive um, food packs out to people. So there's a lot of different ways that First Coast comes out. They're just very generous, very compassionate, very smart population. And that's why this city is just so awesome. Are you having your volunteers and the people who go out and deliver food wear masks and gloves and try to do pretty much a contactless delivery? Yeah, we all have masks. We had a great donation from um, Vera Bradley. She's been a wonderful donor of ours. She sent us really cute masks. We just got a great donation from C1 Solutions, uh, 5,000 new masks. So we um, we have gloves, we have the masks, and we have the full COVID uniform, mask, gloves, and 15 extra pounds. So we're all going out there. We're making <laughs> sure. Um, we're, we're not, we're, the whole point of Blessings is it, we, it's a, as seamless and um, flexible as possible. It's a pre-packed meal that has, you know, four meals in it. They're all nutritious and it's delivered directly to the school, handled by a PC at the school that's invested in that school and and those children. So it's a seamless, smart way to get food where it needs to go. So um, we made sure everybody had everything they needed. So you don't actually have contact with the actual families. You deliver to a school and then the school takes care of the distribution. Right. We have a program coordinator at each school that is, for the most part, usually connected to the school, either as an employee or a parent or a part of the PTO, something like that, where they, they know the, the population. And the, and the thing that works for Blessings in a Backpack is that we depend on the experts and we consider principals, teachers, school nurses, um, the librarians, the guidance counselors. Those are the folks that we listen to about who needs food, who's coming in wearing the same clothes on Monday that they had on Friday, who's hoarding food, what small child just simply is just stressed and anxious because, you know, they depend on food at school. So we listen to them and we build the program from the inside out at each of these schools. And we're in St. John's County as well as Duval, and we're expanding into Clay County this coming year. So again, because we talk to the people that know these children best. And it's also a national organization. Tell us about a little bit about how this program is administered nationally? It's, you know, it really just is amazing. We're in about 45 states. I think we're serving around 88,000 children right now. Um, it started a little over 10 years ago. Actually, it might have been 14 years ago in Louisville, Kentucky. And this woman just saw a need and she filled backpacks full of food and took it there and it just grew from there. And then we realized a child can only use so many backpacks. So it really became more about the food. And then we worked with the school to come up with a system where the food got safely and discreetly and respectfully into the child's backpack. And then we um, created a national food solution, which is a partnership with Cisco and Champion, where we use national brands in the pre-pack, but it's smaller for perfectly little tiny fingers, but also it's loaded with minerals and vitamins. It's everything this child needs and it's sized appropriately. Um, What we were finding out is the kids will get the pack and then when they get on bus or start walking home, they immediately eat their favorite things first. And then if there's older siblings or adults at home, some of them have told us they hide the food on their way, either at a friend's (laughs) house or somewhere else because they know an older kid or brother or sister is going to eat it. Um, So then they can go back during the week and um, a weekend and have their snacks. So it is two healthy lunches and breakfasts and it's got a lot of healthy snacks in it. And it's just, 
um, it's a good distribution model for nutrition. And it, it's, I'll tell you, what, there's a meat stick in there that mm-hmm. is disturbing to look at, but it is absolutely delicious. And there's like the little regular cereal bowls and sunflower seeds and cheese sticks. And it really is, they're just, kids love it. It's delicious. Sounds like you're delivering basically the, the youth version of an MRE. <laughs> yeah, but but it tastes better, I will say. And I mean, sometimes people kind of, they get a little upset because where, where's the fresh fruit? And I would love to have fresh fruit with every pack. But, you know, these children, they hide this food in their backpack so that they have something to eat. And you don't know how long that food's going to be in that yeah. backpack. And you don't know if they're going to a home that has electricity. You know, um, we just want to make sure that child has access to the food they need. And they're young and they're little. And, you know, so I've having them in charge of keeping something at the right food safety temperature and putting it in the right place is just not something else we want to lay upon them. So we really just make it as easy as possible for them to have the right kind of food whenever they need it over the weekend. Let's go back and talk about uh, about your volunteers for a moment, because I know that this has been a challenging time for a lot of nonprofits that depend on volunteers simply because they want to make sure their volunteers stay safe. How much do you depend on those volunteers and how are you handling that aspect of this uh, of this crisis? Well, every single one of our program coordinators are volunteers. So they have jobs, families, as well as a blessings and a backpack program to operate. So um, we are just in constant contact. We give them we're give them lots of education, lots of training resources, lots of support. I um, mean, one of the ways that we used out-of-the-pocket volunteers was, you know, April was National Volunteers Month, and there's a week in there. So I had a lot of great donors donate items for self-care and comfort for my program coordinators. And then I had volunteers through my Facebook page volunteer to pick up the packages from me and then deliver to all of them at home. So um, that way, one way, I just want to make sure they understand that they are essential to us. Every poor program coordinator and their team members, we we depend on them completely to get the food to the kids that need it. So they just, I just hope they know how much we care for them and, and, and support them and just appreciate them. And we're just constantly looking for ways to make sure that they get some, um, more than just the word support, but I'm trying to think of uh, something that makes them understand, truly understand how much we believe in them and need them. They are truly essential to us as a local organization as well as a national. And we have different ways. We have a a, a blessings bulletin that goes out from our CEO that celebrates volunteers and their activities are all over our website nationally and local chapters. So um, yeah, we just look for different ways to make sure they understand how much we love and uh, care for them and, and just are so appreciative of them. Now, the school year is ending. What does Blessings in a Backpack do during the summer months? Well, this summer, we don't know. Um, we usually, if, if called upon, we will help with certain programs during the summer. Right now, um, some there's going to be some summer feeding sites in some counties. I'm not sure what, where the schools are. Um, if there is a summer feeding site at a Blessings program, we most likely will continue to provide the food, find funds for it, and get it there. Um, but, um, we, we just go where the need is and we're looking for different partners to partner with during, um, summertime because we know there are going to be some gaps and the weekend during the school year is just this critical gap. But right now with all this other funk going on, there's lots of little gaps, but I will tell you, this city is coordinating like crazy. It is just absolutely, I mean, it's just wonderful to be Don Lockhart through the city has this, um, task force going on and just the the people she's brought in, the things that are happening, the information that's being shared. I, I feel like 
if people are there and can talk about what the need is, it's going to be addressed. So again, it's all about communicating what you have, what the need is, where you can go, and then, you know, looking for people to network and partner with. What long-range plans are you making and what contingencies are you preparing for as you look forward to the next school year? Well, you know, I think we're all going to be hit with donor fatigue. I think you can only hear COVID for so long before your eyes cross. So um, I'm I'm a little concerned about next year. You know, we were able through many very generous, wonderful donations and funders get through COVID um, and address that huge jump from like 3,900 to 8,800. I mean, it's been crazy wonderful. But next year, um, we're looking at help getting some back to school pledges going to help the, the, the programs that were in place before continue. But also, um, we're getting some feedback from sc- the new schools that want to continue this. So we're looking for funders to take on certain schools and help them just be very consistent with the provision of the uh, weekend meals. So that's what we're doing right now, really looking forward well beyond the summer into the fall and whatever you know form school takes then if it's still you know at home learning or if it's a combination or if it's back in on campus, um, Blessings wants to be there. Do you approach schools, go out and make presentations, or do you wait for schools to come to you, or is it a combination of those things? Um, it, we really haven't had to make many presentations because of word of mouth The schools come to us. And it is, it's a process um, by which we, we, once the school contacts us, and it's usually a school nurse or guidance counselor or concerned um, parent that's on one of the committees, and then we go to the school and sit down and we talk about what the Blessings Program is, what it can provide, and they already know most of that. And from that school team, we build a Blessings Program at that school. Um, I haven't really had to chase any schools down because the folks that need us and want it to happen contact us. But it is. We, I really value slow, smart growth more than anything else, because if we start a program, we're going to stay. And so we don't want to be yet another thing that a child has promised to get and then it goes away for some reason. So when we get in, in with the school and we start a partnership, it's an investment on both our um, sides. So we really everyone puts in 150 percent and we know we're going long term. So it, it is it is a relationship that is built for um ever. I mean, as long as there's a need at that school, then we'll be there. What does your growth track look like? I mean, how many, how many additional schools do you plan on being able to accommodate in any given year? Do you have, do you have that kind of plan? Well, prior to COVID, we were in 34 schools in two counties. Um, with, um, one donor, we were able to go to 64 additional donors, excuse me, additional schools in Duval County alone. Wow. So, I know. It's a, it's just amazing. It really is. It's just a beautiful thing. It really is. And the feedback from these children and their parents is just heartbreaking. And it, But the good kind of heartbreak, because you know that all the time and effort you put into making this happen and all the hard work all the partners put in, it, it means something. It truly means something to the people on the receiving end, as well as to the people making it happen, because principals and teachers are telling us the same stories. So um, looking forward, I hope to keep you know, many of these new schools, I hope to find donors for them and sponsors for them and people that believe in those school communities as well. Um, Duval County, 
Um, the leadership there has been amazing. Um, there's two folks that were working with Primary, Tia Leathers and Brandon Mack, and they have just been rock stars, just very, very smart and resourceful and professional and getting it done for Duval County. And we have the same experience with St. John's County District Schools. We're working with Kelly Thickpen and her team, and they just... I mean, they just make it happen when they they help us get where we need to be. So it's those sorts of relationships, like like everyone will tell you, it really is your relationships and your and your partners and people that share your mission and share what matters most to you for children or whatever your mission is. So it's just finding just surrounding yourself by the right people and having the right partners. So um, I can't tell you what the future holds. I know that didn't even answer your question, but I sure did talk a lot. Um, <laughs> I, I hope I hope it. I hope I find a partner for every one of these schools. I really do. Um, and I hope. That, and my fingers are crossed. And the way this this first coast works, I, I have a good feeling I will. Um, something good will happen. I just, you know, we, I'm always out there. I'm talking to different funders. I'm putting out proposals. I am calling people. I'm, I'm on all these committees and I just hope that it connects and stays connected. And I will say, um, the community foundation, the beaches community fund, the first coast relief fund, um, the Riverside Rotaries, different Rotaries, people have come out to help us make this happen through COVID. They really have cared about what's happened to these kids. And um, just because you're at home doesn't mean there's food at home. So uh, we have some schools that were serving 600 a week that are now serving 2,500 kids a week. Wow. So it's just an expansion in different places like you wouldn't believe, but the city and the county has really come out to help them. So and we're just proud to be a part of the network that does this for kids. We um, we like feeding kids. We have a great product. Yeah, we're sort of a quiet, awesome mission. Um, but I I believe we end up where we need to be every time. Do you have things like state and federal grants that you can pursue as well, or does the re- requirement usually to have a match for those grants make that a little bit more problematic? We have a national office that applies for national grants, and if there is a hub here we may Mm -hmm. be the recipient of some of those grants. It sort of works like that. Um, We try to focus on local sources mostly. And um, like Walmart has like some of their stores will have like a community engagement grant. So, you know, that's like a smaller amount, like uh, 2,500 yet, then they'll have a national grant where you can get a hundred thousand or things like that. Um, A lot of our grocery partners like Publix and Winn-Dixie, Walmart, those, those have grants as well. Um, but I try to focus really on like there's a, a great many family foundations here on the First Coast. And so that's who I hope to reach out to next and basically families feeding families. I mean, I feel like th- those are funds there. And, and who who wouldn't want to feed a small child on the weekend that is you know trying their best to get to school? And the thing about blessings, these kids, their attendance is great. They're, they're keeping their grades up because they want to be at school. They're getting their food at school. And they and if on Fridays, if they find out they're not going to be there Friday for whatever reason, the principals and guidance counselors tell me they make sure they leave a note. They're like, I, I want my pack <laughs> Thursday or I'll be here Monday, but I want my pack for my weekend. Yeah. So we know that it we know that it makes a huge difference wherever it's in place. And so I'm going to reach out to family foundations um, and some other rotaries. I think things like that. We had a lot of things in place for fundraising when March happened. And then they all, you know, all had to cancel for safety for everyone's sake. So I'm hoping we can get those reengaged and just keep moving forward. I I like to grow at a safe, I'll tell you, I'm not like really super impulsive. I don't want to grow 
I don't want huge growth spurts worrying me and this program as well as my son. So I'm trying to keep things in a controllable chaos and, and just grow wisely, grow smartly so that I have everything in place to address what needs to be addressed. So um, the summertime is usually when we do that, but it looks like yeah. we might have some summer feeding sites too. What are you hearing from school administrators around the area about what next fall might look like? Um, we have heard, well, I don't think anything really is known. And I'll, I, and for me personally, I think with the relaxing of some of the protocols, I think they're waiting to see if there's going to be any spikes. So if we have, if that sets us back or allows us to move forward. Um, I have heard nothing concretely. I do know that there will be summer feeding sites. I haven't heard which schools where it will be. Um, if there are schools, we'll be there. Um, but I'm just waiting to hear back. I, I feel like both counties have such amazing leadership in place right now, and they're taking their time and making the right decisions. And so that you don't have to pull things or move things around that, um, I just trust their judgment. I feel like they're all doing the right things for everybody and they've got lots of good people in place that are working, you know, really well with us. So I'm, I'm, I kind of feel like I'll hear this week or next week. So you want me to call you tomorrow? If you, if you want to, or drop me an email, I'll be more than happy to include that information um, as part of the, as part of the write-up for the podcast. Um, I guess the the last thing, Susan, is, how can people help not only financially, but if, if someone who hears this, who is a parent or someone at a school who they think might need the program, how can they help and how can they get in touch? Well, um, I'm available by phone and my contact information is on our website, which is firstcoast.blessingsinabackpack.org. Or you can go to our Facebook page, First Coast Blessings in a Backpack, and there's lots of information on there. You're always welcome to email me or call me. Um, I don't know of the new schools at this point. I do know the schools that we're in now, and all of them are moving forward. Um, but if someone would like to give, what I what would ma make a huge difference for me for individually, um, for folks to give like a pledge and give each month so that it helps create a really steady budget at the schools. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I just want consistency because sometimes that's almost as important as the food itself is that children know it's coming. You know, it, it's a good pack, yay, but they need to know every week and they can count on it. So some annual, um, excuse me, monthly pledges, um, you can get all the information's on the Facebook page or on our website or they can call me. Um, and we're always um, looking at new volunteers for new schools. We'll need new program coordinators for the schools we open up. So, and as soon as I know what schools those are, <laughs> I, you know, that'll really, be helpful. Right. Every week, every week is new information on our Facebook page. So really that's our primary communication tool right now because it's so flexible. You can add to it anytime. So we're, we just welcome people to come in and visit, look at the pictures and, um, meet other people that are on there. And it's really just about raising awareness for the kids that need us. Well, I hope this uh, is able to do at least a little bit of that for you. It's been very interesting to talk with you. And I will say, apropos of nothing, I grew up in southern Indiana, and I'm very appreciative of someone who knows how to pronounce Louisville. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, mean, I was just having this conversation with somebody, and every time someone says Louisville, I'm like, it sets me back about 11 years. I'm like, oh, I know, it's Louisville. Anyway, Susan, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it, and good luck with your efforts. It's a great mission. It sounds like a great program, and we wish you all the best. Thank you, Tom. I really appreciate it. I appreciate your time. If you would like to be a part of this podcast, drop me an email. I'm tcpatton813 at gmail.com. 
This podcast is supported in part by listeners like you. Visit the homepage on Anchor FM to learn how you can support the program and leave a voice message with your comments. The podcast is also available on Spotify and other podcast distribution sites. We'll be posting new podcasts each Monday and Thursday, so I hope you'll join us again next time. You can also get previous episodes at the Anchor.fm homepage, Spotify, and others. For now, and especially now, remember to look for the opportunity in every challenge. I'm Tom Patton.